I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening. Farm and Country is next. WJFF Jeffersonville. You're listening to Radio Catskill. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report highlights viewing the planet Mercury. We'll say hello to artist Christy Johnson, who painted one of the Sullivan County dubs placed on Route 52 in Liberty, New York. Alex Hoshka has a seasonal outdoor report from Cook's Falls on hunting and fishing. Laura Silverman helps us to be mindful about whole cooking, avoiding waste with meat and vegetables. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country here on Radio Catskill. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News, I'm Barbara Klein. For a second time, the U.S. Supreme Court has refused to block a Texas law that makes abortion illegal in the state after roughly six weeks of pregnancy and puts enforcement in the hands of private citizens instead of state officials. At the same time, though, the court has agreed to hear challenges to the law brought by the Biden administration and clinics that perform abortions, as NPR's Nina Totenberg reports. The court put the Texas case on a super expedited rocket docket, saying it would hear arguments a week from Monday. Only Justice Sotomayor noted a dissent, so we can't be sure what went on behind the scenes, but the court's refusal to temporarily block the law appears to be the product of two court rules. It takes the votes of only four justices to hear arguments in a case, but five votes are needed to reverse a lower court order like the one in this case, leaving the law in place. And there clearly were not five votes to do that. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. Leaked documents reveal how the Stop the Steal movement after the 2020 election evaded Facebook's restrictions. NPR's Shannon Bond reports the social media giant had emergency tools to keep the platform safe, but the movement flourished anyway. On election night, Facebook employees breathed a sigh of relief because voting seemed to go off without a hitch. But all was not well on the social network. Angry Trump supporters were coalescing around the rallying cry, Stop the Steal. Two months later, some of them would turn up and storm the U.S. Capitol. Facebook, which is among NPR's financial supporters, took steps to curb Stop the Steal groups. But according to internal documents from a former employee turned whistleblower, these measures fell short of what the company's own researchers said was necessary to keep the platform safe. And so the movement grew faster than Facebook could keep up. Facebook says blame for January 6th lies with the people who stormed the Capitol. Shannon Bond, NPR News. The FDA says the benefits of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine outweigh the risks for young children. Next week, independent advisors are due to debate whether the shots should be given to kids aged 5 through 11. COVID-19 cases are rapidly rising in Britain. From London, Vicki Barker reports that's putting pressure on the British government to take action. 
England saw nearly 50,000 new COVID cases on Friday, up 10% from the week before. The UK's top science advisors say only the reinstatement of mask mandates and other strict measures now can prevent the return of lockdowns this winter. But for now, Prime Minister Boris Johnson is throwing his weight behind an attempt to increase take-up of COVID boosters. Vicki Barker reporting from London. You're listening to NPR News. Support comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wall and Poppick, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, we'll say hello to artist Christy Johnson, who painted one of the Sullivan County doves placed on Route 52 in Liberty, New York. Alex Hoska has a seasonal outdoor report from Cook's Falls on hunting and fishing. From her archive segments labeled What's Cooking?, Laura Silverman helps us to be mindful about whole cooking, avoiding waste with meat and vegetables. But first, here is Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report that highlights viewing the planet Mercury. Thank you for joining us for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. You will have a fantastic opportunity to see the elusive planet Mercury this week. The planet will be at its highest point in the morning sky on Monday. Mercury will be at its furthest point from the sun in the morning on Monday. This event is known as Mercury's greatest western elongation. Mercury's greatest elongations come in pairs about six weeks apart and the pairs occur about every four months. Mercury is the closest planet to the Sun and is also the smallest planet in the solar system. Due to its proximity to the Sun, it is only visible around sunrise or sunset. This week, Mercury will be visible low on the unobstructed eastern horizon for an hour and a half before the Sun rises. But the best time to view Mercury will be from around 6.15 a.m. to 7 a.m. Mercury will be 5 degrees above the horizon at 6.15 a.m. And by 7 a.m., the glow of the soon-to-be-rising sun may obscure Mercury. Mercury has a very slow rotation about its axis that causes a very strange occurrence in its sky. 
For every three rotations Mercury makes about its axis, it completes two revolutions around the Sun. At sunrise, the Sun appears to rise, briefly set, and then rise again. The reverse happens at sunset. Look to the eastern horizon just after sunrise this week for your chance to spot Mercury. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future StarTalk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and StarTalk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. This is Rosie Starr. Let's say hello to Christy Johnson. She painted one of the Sullivan County doves. And this sculpture dove is prominently placed at the entrance to the Radio Catskill Studios, currently under construction on Route 52 in Liberty, New York. Her creative talents harmonize botanical energy and natural beauty. I'm Christy Johnson. I am an artist. I mostly work with textiles, but um, I also do some painting, which this dove uh, was a bit more of a challenge to get a little bit bigger with the painting. It was a very enjoyable um, process and to just be a part of this dove trail, a really important part of this area of the Catskills. I'm just really happy to, to have been able to do that. Yeah. It sounds like you're part of a bigger project. What is the bigger project here, the doves in Sullivan County? Oh, yes. Yeah. So there is a dove trail where there are 50, I think now 60 different doves to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Woodstock Festival. And I just think it's a really beautiful way to celebrate it with even more art. How were you chosen to be part of this project? One of the producers of it reached out to me and asked me to do it. And I said, yeah, so that's how it worked out. When Radio Catskill sent out the invitation about this event, I looked you up and I saw your presence online as a textile artist. And of course, immediately I was enamored because I do have a fondness for fabric. How does your artwork influence what you've produced here in this dove? My art in general um, has, you know, some through lines of it um, and just just having that practice of working with different colors, with embroidery, with textiles, and being able to kind of bring that experience back into painting after many years of not having done much painting, um, it was really nice to see how it reflected um, sort of the evolution of my work. Can you tell me, as an artist, what are the elements that went into building this dove? Basically, acrylic paint, different color mixing, different, um, you know, learning new methods of layering the paint. Am I to think that you were given the form and then you painted it, or did you actually sculpt the form? No, I was. I just painted the form, that pre-existing form, yeah. yeah. I would not have been able to sculpt that. <laughs> I also had a sense from your webpage that you might have been involved in some of our T-shirts. I have several WJFF and Radio Catskill T-shirts, and one of them has a beautiful hand with kind of a spiritual symbol an energy symbol. So did you design that? Yes, that was my design that I did for your JFF. Yes. It's beautiful. Tell me about that process and thinking. Um, yeah, that one I really wanted to include uh, basically all of the native herbal plants that grow in the area. Um, and so if you look all around that um, that illustration, you'll see you'll, you can point out all the different um, native herbals like mugwort and milkweed and St. John's wort and a lot of different other 
plants from around the area. Um, yeah, that was a really fun project to work on. And I think your dove uh, sculpture has some of those elements. Can you just describe the images that you put into your dove here? Right, yeah. So the dove was more of a variety, like a mix of garden flowers and also native wildflowers. And that was just kind of seeing things come together in their beauty. Um, and I just tried to also include a lot of water in there because that's an important part of the Catskills. It's like so many beautiful bodies of water to come and visit. So that's been a really lovely part of living here. And I really wanted to embrace that in the actual design itself. Well, we appreciate your work as an artist and community member. So thank you for taking the time to speak with us here on our new site of radio, Catskill in Liberty. Yes, thanks so much. It's been an honor to work on the Stuff Project. Thank you. <laughs> For Radio Catskill in Liberty, New York, it's Rosie Starr. Christie's webpage, Mixed Color, highlights her talents and workshops in textile art. She also has authored a book titled Mystical Stitches. I noticed it on display in the Calicoon Pantry on Lower Main Street. When I visited Calicoon on a hunt for a grizzly bagel and a rabbit-run dahlia bouquet for my husband. For Radio Catskill, this is Alex Hostia with your Outdoor Report. The dog days of summer are long behind us, and we've finally transitioned to that nice fall weather we've been waiting for. With that comes a whole new set of seasons for outdoorsmen and women alike. Most hunting seasons across the state have started to open to some degree with both deer and small game being options. For you deer hunters, the early bow season has opened up across the state. This is a great time of year to get out into the forest and see what is on your property. If you haven't done much scouting over the summer, this is a good time to start to pattern deer heading into the fall. It is still fairly early and the rut has not totally kicked in yet so the deer are still focused on feeding and bedding instead of breeding. Good spots to look for deer activity are in areas where they can quickly move from a bedding area, such as thick cover or thick conifers, to a feeding area. This time of year, there are a, an abundance of soft foods for deer to eat, such as apples, pears, and peaches coming from local abandoned orchards and people's backyards. The deer are focused on this mass crop because it's readily available and high in nutrients. If you can find an old apple orchard on state land or your own property, this is a great place to set up and watch for deer activity. With this new season, it is also important to remember to check that your hunting licenses and permits and stamps are all up to date. The New York State hunting season began on October 1st, so if you have not purchased your new license yet, you need to do that before you start hunting. License agents are found across the state, and if you go onto the New York State DEC website, they will have a license locator. allows you to plug in your zip code and it will show you the nearest licensing agents. Make sure you look into the agent you plan to go to because some only take cash. Once your licenses and permits are all acquired, it is time to head into the woods. Before you head out, make sure that your bow or firearms have been checked and sighted in properly. If you're a bow hunter, make sure you get a few groups of arrows into your practice target every day to stay sharp so when you 
do get the chance to shoot at a live deer, you can make the shot count. For you small game hunters, grouse, squirrel, and rabbit seasons have all opened. The forest is still pretty thick, so shots are going to be limited. So when you do go out hunting, you need to be extra alert at all times because you're going to have to make a shot very quickly. Like deer, these animals are focused on feeding right now. So if you could find feeding areas, you will find small game. Grouse are congregating near old apple orchards where there's a large amount of crab apples and hawthorns as well as other vegetation for them to feed on. Rabbits and squirrels are doing the same. All of these animals are great ways to get young people into hunting. They are relatively accessible no matter where you are and the chance of a new hunter at least seeing some game is high with these species. Small game only requires a New York State hunting license. You do not need any extra permits or stamps to go after these species. They provide season-long activity and are often amazing on the table. For you waterfowl hunters, the season is still a couple days away with the southeast zone starting in mid-October. Waterfowl are starting to move through on their annual fall migration. While we don't have the numbers of birds yet, we do have certain species that are coming through in numbers. Wood ducks are one of the earliest migrators and their numbers are through the roof right now. With the amount of water that has been falling throughout the spring and early fall, there are plenty of puddles, swamps, and seeps for these ducks to feed in. When looking for wood ducks, getting out and scouting is very important. They like to find one area where they're comfortable and they will not travel far from there at all. If you could find a swamp that's holding birds, that's where you're going to want to go come opening day. In addition to wood ducks, you will get some early migrating mallards, teal, widgeon, and possibly some pintails. These species are all coming from higher elevations and higher latitudes in Canada and are starting to work their way down. So these birds, while it may not seem cold here, are coming from areas that are already getting below freezing. If you want to target wood ducks, you do not need a ton of gear. These species uh, usually stay in groups of four to six, so a half dozen decoys is more than enough. Wood ducks generally don't decoy into your spread, but having a couple decoys out is enough to slow them down so you could potentially get a shot. The same goes for the other early season species I had mentioned. Now with all of this talk of hunting, it is important to remember hunting safety. When going out into the woods or onto the water with a firearm, make sure that your firearm, unless you are intending to shoot, is unloaded and cased while you're traveling. Also make sure that anybody with you is a safe and responsible firearm user and owner. It takes just a second for an accident to happen, so make sure you and anybody in your party is fully aware of the risk that firearms possess. It's not saying you shouldn't get out and enjoy the outdoors hunting, but you just need to be careful. If you are taking a new hunter out, make sure they have their hunter safety course met and that they have taken the necessary training to properly use that firearm or bow. 
hunter safety courses are run throughout the state throughout the year, and they can, the schedule can be found on the New York State DEC website. For those of you new to hunting who maybe do not have private land to hunt, public land in New York State offers a great option to get out and experience the outdoors. While public land can seem a little daunting at first because of the size of some of the parcels, it is very easy to see what lies on the state lands of New York. The New York State DEC State Lands Interactive Mapper will show you all you need to check out a piece of state property. This helpful online tool can be found right on their website and using the filters and layers on the web tool, you can see your local wildlife management areas, state land, trails, creeks, and access points. This is a great way to find property near you that is easily accessible for hunting. This will also make sure that you do not trespass on anybody's property inadvertently while you are out hunting. Trespassing is a serious offense in New York and should be avoided at all costs. If you have any questions about hunting in New York or state lands, feel free to contact the New York State DEC. They are very responsive and will go out of their way to help answer any questions you have. They want you to have a safe and enjoyable hunting and fishing experience, as well as making sure that you routinely come back and continue to hunt and fish. Speaking of fishing, the fall bite is on. Trout fishing has been phenomenal in local rivers, especially on nymphs and streamers. The fish are starting to put on a heavy feed for the fall, so trout are congregating in riffles and deeper pools and can be easily targeted with nymphs. Golden stoneflies have been producing exceptionally well lately in the Beaverkill River. With the amount of water we've had this year, some rivers are still high and dangerous to wade. So make sure you check the flows before fishing to make sure the area you're going to is safely fishable. With water being so high, spin fishermen can also capitalize on this and get some great fall action. Larger Rapalas and larger spoons are great ways to target those big fish in the fall. These fish are hungry and looking to feed, so they will not turn down a large presentation like they will at other times of the year. Hit those deep areas and hit those pools right after runs for your best chance at catching a trophy fall trout. The lakes in lakes in the area, panfish are starting to school up and can be very easily targeted using sonar and lake maps. Find a depth that is off a nice weed edge such, in, such as seven to nine feet. And if you have sonar, troll back and forth until you find pods of fish. Once you find a pod of fish that is either feeding on bait fish or schooling waiting to feed, the action can be hot and heavy. Small jigs, spoons, and crankbaits will all catch these fish. They are keyed in on minnow baits right now. So anything that remotely resembles a minnow is likely to get bit. Largemouth bass and pickerel and smallmouth bass are also starting to put on the feed for the fall. These fish are starting to move out of shallow water and into deeper water. This is a great time of year to fish reaction baits, such as crankbaits, jerkbaits, and spinnerbaits. These fish are looking to feed and will not hesitate hitting a presentation correctly put in front of them. Colors to go with, 
your classic silver and black, gold and black, and just plain white. Again, these fish are keyed in on minnows. So anything that resembles a minnow is a great lure to use and will probably get bit. For Radio Catskill, this is Alex Hostia with your Outdoor Report. For WJFF's Farm and Country, this is Laura Silverman bringing you What's Cooking? Back in the late 90s, a British chef by the name of Fergus Henderson popularized a kind of cooking and eating he called nose-to-tail. Although it seemed exciting and new at the time, this kind of food was really just a throwback to the days when cooks would not waste any part of the animal, and diners did not turn their noses up at such choice tidbits as trotters, brains, and sweetbreads. When was that, you ask? Well, basically, since the dawn of time. Following the Tao of Fergus, dishes like fried pig's tail salad and roasted bone marrow on toast have once again become all the rage, and nose-to-tail eating has had wide acceptance. But having explored cooking with every nook and cranny of the animal, and facing something of a backlash against so much meat consumption, because of the issues with industrial farming and the environmental concerns it raises, chefs and eaters have begun turning more and more to innovative vegetable preparations. Even people who are not expressly vegan or vegetarian are discovering the pleasurable and nutritional benefits of a vegetable-rich diet, and new options and inspiration is everywhere. The nose-to-tail movement has given way to what some call root-to-leaf eating, in which no part of the plant is deemed without merit. Cookbook author and food journalist Tara Duggan published a book last year called Root-to-Stock Cooking filled with ideas for using the stalks, ribs, fronds, and stems that once might have seemed too dirty, dry, tough, or bitter to include on the plate. She has a shaved broccoli stock salad with lime and cotija cheese that's a great example of a simple and quick dish that uses a part of a vegetable usually relegated to the compost heap. She also tosses potato peelings, we already know all the vitamins are hiding there, with bacon fat and spices to make a deliciously crispy snack. In Melbourne, Australia, brothel, a cafe, serves a variety of broths, most of them made from the bones of animals. But it also offers a sweet breakfast version made with freshly rolled oats soaked in buttermilk and combined with a broth made from fruit skins and honey. You'll be amazed by the distinct and slightly different flavors you can extract from previously neglected parts of even the most familiar produce. In my own kitchen, where a compost bucket sits next to the sink, ready to ferry any discarded vegetable matter straight to the garden, I now think twice about what to toss aside and what to eat. When I'm lucky enough to find carrots with fresh, sprightly greens still attached, I make a pesto with these tops, plus toasted sunflower seeds, salty cheese, and some good oil. I no longer get rid of the long, feathery fronds on my fennel bulbs because I've learned that they can be steeped in hot water to make a delicious, licorice-scented tea. Those tender, pale leaves that grace celery stalks? Save up a few handfuls and use them for a delicate salad, tossed with a little lemon zest and a light vinaigrette. 
Try sautéing the stems from a couple bunches of rainbow chard with plenty of onions and herbs. Then fold this into buttery galette dough to make a savory tart. The possibilities start to present themselves when you take another look at what's right in front of you. So go ahead, eat shoots and leaves. I'm Laura Silverman, and this has been WJFF's What's Cooking, the show about eating life up. TheOutsideInstitute.org is Laura Silverman's webpage that has all her current activity. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Alex Hoshka. Special thanks goes to Laura Silverman for her archived segments, What's Cooking?, and to our guest, Christy Johnson, textile artist, writer, and painter. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. I am delighted to highlight the music of Roy Williams from his album, Throwing Punches. The Ritz Theater had them available for purchase at the recent Holly Hoedown Festival. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. Radio Catskill is public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. We're on air at 90.5 FM. We're also available on your smartphone and smart speaker. Our archived programs are available on our webpage, wjffradio.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org Four years after Hurricane Maria, many Puerto Ricans still don't have electricity. Captain Bob Cass knows hurricane destruction firsthand from his own battle with Hurricane Irma back in 2017 on St. Martin in the Caribbean.